Good to see everybody. Great to be back together. I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, if you would, to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I think one of the things that's it's really interesting, as Pastor Bob just mentioned, um, the significance of the Christian family, all of us as we've been looking at what's going on in our society right now are, are not only concerned for ourselves, but for our children. I'll frequently hear people say, you know, I fear raising my kids in this culture and, and the way things are moving in terms of um, just being out of control in many ways, not one side politically, but just overall. But there's a, a text going around, maybe some of you saw it, I don't know who the author is, but it said, don't feel sorry or fear for your kids because the world they're going to grow up in is not what it used to be. God created them and he called them for this exact moment in time that they're in. Their life wasn't a coincidence or an accident. Raise them to know the power that they can walk in as children of God. Train them up in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith, knowing that God is in control. Empower them to know that they can change the world. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world. Teach them to be hopeful that they can do something about it. Every person in all of history has been placed in the time that they were because of God's sovereign plan. He knew Daniel could handle the lion's den. He knew David could handle Goliath. He knew Esther could handle Haman. And he knew Peter could handle persecution. And he knows that your child can handle whatever challenge they face in their life. He created them specifically for it. So don't be scared for your children, but be honored that God chose you to parent them. Teach them God's love to share it with everyone. Rise to the challenge. Raise Daniel's, David's, Esther's, and Peter's. God isn't scratching his head, wondering what he's going to do with this mess of a world. He has an army. He's raising up an army to drive back the darkness and make his name known all over the world. So don't let your fear steal the greatness God placed in them. I know it's hard to imagine them as anything besides our sweet little babies, but we just want to protect them from anything that could ever be hard on them. But they were born for such a time as this. And I was really encouraged by that, and I thought, wow, it just fits so appropriately with where we are in the book of Ephesians. Because as Paul has shown how the, the church was formed by God's grace, now it's functioning for his glory. The section that we're entering in now is going to enter into the whole realm of family, of marriage, of parenting, and then of employment, the very place and space where we spend most of our time and the very place where it's most difficult to be a Christian. But at the same time, it's the very place that we have one of the greatest areas whereby we can model and influence and have a testimony to the world. So if you're with me this morning, last week we saw that, that God was telling us to, to be careful with our time, to, to walk wisely and be introspective. Make the most of your time. He told us that we should really be prioritizing the will of God, understanding what the will of God is. And then he went on to say, and be under the influence of the Spirit. You're not going to be able to do this on your own. Allow the Spirit to fill you with the fullness of God. Now he left off in verse 21 by telling us to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. 
And I want to suggest here that that's what we'll call a hinge verse. That that verse is, is, is related to what he just said in that he's telling us to have a mutual, relation, respectful relationship with one another. But it's also introducing a, a lengthy section that he's going to get into. And so when he says to be subject to one another, there are some who look at this verse and say, see, this idea of headship or authority, that's been nullified in Christ, that we're all completely equal, and that there's even a book called Submission is for Husbands. And so there's one way that people have interpreted this to say, hey, we're all just completely equal. There's no more authority. But I don't think that's Paul's point here. And perhaps the easiest way to sort of illustrate that is he's going to go on and he's going to talk about wives being submissive. He's going to talk about servants being submissive. But he's going to talk about children being submissive. And I certainly don't think that it would be appropriate to say parents should be submissive to their children. So what, what Paul's doing here, and he's done this in several passages, is he's simply outlining what a Christian home should look like. Our mission as Christians is to advance the gospel and make disciples, and the most influential place, hands down, no close second, is in our home. And I recognize that while some of us aren't married or have lost a spouse, as followers of Christ, the privilege of learning to love Jesus is often primarily in the home. And one of the greatest areas of discipleship is the family. It's really the location of our greatest need and our greatest source of transformation. The home is really where our Christianity is put into practice. The home is where we learn to forgive, where we learn to be patient, where we learn to listen, where we learn to submit, where we learn to apologize, where we learn to express Christian love. Family relationships, and, and all of us would agree with this, our family relationships affect us deeply. All of us, as you think back to the way you were raised, no matter how terrible it was or how wonderful it was, that had a profound effect on you. The CCF counselors call that your shaping influences. Now, some people respond to that and say, yeah, well, that's why I'm messed up because my parents were messed up and it's not my fault. And that's not at all the idea. But the idea is to say, hey, the way I grew up, the modeling of my parents has shaped who I am. But that doesn't dictate who I am to become. So as we look at this passage, we're going to really be challenged to realize that Paul's challenging us to go, look, the home is the place where you can model Christianity, where you can make Christianity look good. In fact, subtle things like in Titus 2, he said, wives, he said, learn how to be subject to your husbands and not slandering them so that the word of God is not dishonored. So, so the world is watching us. And when Christianity was born out of the Old Testament people of God, it was making such an impact on society that the Romans were carefully watching that. And what they were suspicious of is that Christianity was a bad thing, that it would disrupt society. Because, interestingly, the Greco-Roman world, unlike our world, believed that the family was the foundation of society and that they were concerned that Christianity was going to totally disrupt the family. And yet... Even today, Christians are stereotyped as narrow-minded, as 
bigots. They're disliked because we choose to embrace God's view of marriage, of family, of sexuality, of gender identity, and so forth. And, and, and the reality is we have to come to grips with this truth that Christianity will never be welcomed in a hostile, Satan-controlled world. So when Christians say things like this, marriage is for a man and a woman exclusively, or sleeping together or living together before marriage is sin, that's always going to be unpopular. But where we are in Ephesians, Paul is concerned with building this, these strong, Christ-centered Christian homes. And I recognize that this is not easy. We're two sinners trying to figure it out together. My wife and I just celebrated 38 years. And I can tell you, God is my witness. Our marriage is better than ever. And I am so thankful for her. But if you ask me, has it been easy? I would say no. Some people, it's very easy. For us, maybe, you know, your testimony is different. Ours has had a lot of struggles. We've had counseling. We've had to work through things. But what I want to just introduce as we go through this passage is that we, we use the phrase marriages are made in heaven. You know, oh, a marriage made in heaven. Well, technically speaking, what we know about God's sovereignty and his pre-planning of our destiny, it would be safe to say that every Christian marriage that is, that is truly biblical, you know, it's not an unbeliever and a believer or something, is, is, is a marriage made in heaven. But the illustration that I've, I've thought of over the years is that all Christian marriages are made in heaven, but much like a bicycle that you get for your kids, it comes with all the parts, but then you have to put it together. So while marriages are made in heaven, we all know that if you don't follow the, the book when you're putting something together, it can come out as a disaster. And so thank the Lord, he's given us his word and said, look, I designed marriage. And while you might have thoughts about it and you might have ideas and you might read books on it, let's go to his word and see what he has to say about marriage. This passage is not the end all about marriage. There's so much more that the Bible has to say about marriage. But three things real quick as we look at this passage is that Harold Honer in his commentary on Ephesians says, he says, number one, a difference between Christianity and Greek culture at that time was that Greeks felt that women were inferior and even their ability to reason was inferior. So while some people would say Christianity has been oppressive to women, in this culture, Christianity was elevating women because the New Testament says there's no male or female in Christ. There's no inferiority. Number two, there was a concern for the family among the Greeks, but their concern was that the family had to be well run because that's the foundation of the state. Proper management of the family was a vital social and political concern. At that point, you know, Greeks and Romans like, we've got to have well-ordered families for the good of the state. Christians, that's not our primary concern. We don't want to have strong Christian families for the good of the state. We want to have strong Christian families for the Lord Jesus and his glory and the advancement of the gospel. A third thing is that in the Greco-Roman household codes, leaders had no one to whom they were accountable. If you were the husband or you were the boss or whatever, you weren't accountable to anybody. In Christianity, we recognize that everybody has an accountability to the Lord. 
And so let's pray, and then we're going to go through this passage. For some of you, you've read it a million times, or some of you never read it before. But then I want to draw out some of the implications for our 21st century. As, as, as we go into 2021, we want to see God's grace strengthen marriages. We want to see God's grace strengthen parenting. And it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen as the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God, and as we submit and obey God's Word, He blesses us. Father, thank you for your Word. And as we read it now, may the Spirit guide us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's start in verse 22. We'll read through the whole passage, and then we'll come back and make some comments and draw out some observations and applications. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, why? Well, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. I want you to note as we're reading how often he, 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 he goes back to Jesus and his love and what he's done. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Notice the emphasis on Christ's love for his people and what he did and what he's doing and what he will do, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, his church, would be holy and blameless. So husbands, you ought to also love your own wives as your own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just like Christ does the church. Why? Because we're members of his body. For this cause, Paul, Paul, Paul quotes now Genesis 2. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And then as he summarizes, he goes, I know, I know we're in the deep end here. This is a great mystery. He says, this mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In other words, he's saying here, the big picture here is that God designed marriage to be an illustration of Christ's relationship to his church. And so nevertheless, he says, let each individual among you love his own wife as himself and, and wives see to it that you respect your husbands. So let's walk through this briefly. And again, for some of you, you're like, oh, I've already heard this. And I remind you of Mark Twain's words. It's not what I don't know about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do know. So we should never have a posture that says, oh, I already heard this. Because it's not whether we heard it. The Bible says, blessed are those who hear it and do it. And so the scriptures reprove, correct, train us in righteousness. So the goal here is I want to put out a disclaimer. Right now, don't be thinking about what your spouse is supposed to be doing. Just get that out of your mind. Think about what God's saying to you about what you should be doing. 
Always remember this. You're not responsible for how your spouse acts. We're responsible for how we act and react. So Paul starts with wives. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I want to start with that word. The word be subject means to literally rank yourself under or place yourself in a subordinating relationship. I want you to think about that. It's voluntary. It's not your husband pushes you under. In fact, in Peter O'Brien's commentary, he said, the, the word has to do with someone being in an ordered array under someone who's above. So you're willingly choosing to put yourself under someone above. And the notion here, the key here, is that there's order. God has established a leadership and authority role within the family. And, and it's really simply a recognition of a divine ordering. This same word is used of Christ placing himself voluntarily under God the Father. It wasn't as though Jesus is like, I'm inferior to God, and so, okay, I have to place myself under my dad because he's better than me. It's a willing, voluntary thing. And it's not because husbands deserve it. But instead, notice that Paul says, they should do it as to the Lord. Each person is, is, is being asked to behave in a certain way, but then Paul explains how and why. He says, do this as unto the Lord. It's easy to, to see how many people think that this is demeaning to women. I, I, I get that. It, it feels demeaning to women. It feels like it's going to encourage tyrannical domineering men. And unfortunately, this has been the case in the history of Christianity. There have been people who have exploited passages like this. And even later in chapter 6, the, um, the servant master and, and used this in a very twisted way. And so as, as I was considering this, I want to say this, that if, if any of you are aware of men who are using their God-given place to bully and to um, be tyrannical over their wives. They need to be rebuked. They need to be held accountable. And if you're in a relationship like that and your husband calls himself a Christian, please don't, don't suffer silently without at least trying to communicate and get help because we as spiritual shepherds want to help with that. It's not like we're going to go and yell at your husband. But statistics are telling us, particularly during the, the pandemic, that there's a lot more abuse in the home. And so this is not allowing husbands to, to be oppressive to their wives. Authority is not synonymous with tyranny. And the submission that Paul is asking for does not imply inferiority. So what should motivate them to do this? Look what he says. Do this as to the Lord. Do it unto the Lord. Submit to your husband, not because he deserves it, not because he's earned it, but because you're loving Jesus who gave himself for you. And, and I, 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 I sympathize. I think wives at times wrestle through and have to come to grips with the reality that sometimes you are more competent than your husband. You may be spiritually more mature. You may have more wisdom. You may just be a, a much more competent person. And... And, and you may feel like, hey, this guy doesn't deserve to be submitted to. 
But by God's grace, I pray that you can choose to adopt an attitude that you're doing it unto the Lord. And I think that that can help avoid frustration. We can all do things in our own strength, or we could say, God, this is hard, but you promised I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes when we use this phrase, well, respect is earned. Why should I show my husband respect? He's very disrespectful. Well, that's not really true. The Bible doesn't teach that respect is earned any more than it teaches love is earned. Imagine if we said love is earned. You don't have to love your wife till she earns it. So ladies, God is asking you to show this deference to your husband, not because he deserves it, but it's kind of like when you work with someone, you might not always feel that your supervisor is the most competent leader, but you recognize that that's their position, and so you put yourself under them. Well, why would God want wives to do this? Well, let's go on. He says, as the husband is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church. There's this, there's this example here. And then he adds, he himself is the savior of the body. I think he's introducing this to just remind us. It's always about love, Christ's love for us. But he says, notwithstanding, verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ, wives should be subject to their husbands. I, I hate this phrase, but it's there in everything. Now, I want to qualify this. When the Bible tells children, obey your parents in all things, wives be submissive in everything, be submissive to the government, there's one exception in the Bible to all of them, and that is if you're ever asked to disobey God. In Acts chapter 4, they told Peter, you need to preach, stop preaching, and he said, we must obey God rather than men. So when it says in everything, it's not this unqualified thing that says, if my husband says, hey, we're cheating on the taxes or whatever. Your first loyal allegiance is to the Lord Jesus. But in everything does sort of give a sense of going, oh man, there's going to be times that I'm going to have a different perspective. And I'm sure this can lead to discussions. This is not a one-off and everybody's marriage is perfect. But, but it, it leads to discussions and prayer and saying, okay, God, what does that look like? Now let's move to guys. The husbands are like, Pastor, keep going. No, no, it's time for us to get a beating. Husbands, love your wives. That's a commandment. And I want to remind you that love primarily is not a feeling. Love is, a, is, is, is an action. It's a choice of the will. This is the word from which we get the word agape. It's this deep, sacrificial love. It's an unselfish willingness to put your wife's needs and desires above your own. And hands down, I, I've always said this, I generally feel like when, when I'm counseling young married couples that husbands are far more selfish. Now, there are exceptions, and you could disagree. So it's really important that, that we as guys take this to heart, that Christ has called us to sacrificially love our wives. And he modeled this for us. It says, just as Christ loved the church, and what did he do? He gave himself up for her. So all this nonsense, talk is cheap. The Bible says, let us not love in word only, but in deed. I heard a funny story one time this, this husband said to his wife. He said, honey, you know, based on Ephesians 5, I would die for you. And she goes, you always say that, but you never do. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe that's extreme. But the point would be here is, guys, you and I have to think deeply. 
what are we doing sacrificially to show our wives our love for them? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is forgiving. Love doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't keep records. Love endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things. So husbands, this is, this is a, a, a daunting task of which we need divine enablement. But let's not, you know, beat around the bush. Even if you're seriously serving the Lord, some men, and especially pastors, I've been guilty of this. I had to be rebuked by a counselor when my wife said, I wish his, he was, I was his parishioner. Because I feel like he puts his parishioner sometimes above me. And I had to take that two by four right to the, to the head when that counselor said, I hear that all the time from pastor's wives. And I learned something then, and that was this. Christ never asked husbands to lay down their wives for the church. Jesus already did that. He's asking us to lay down our lives for our wives. So, he says he did this that he might sanctify her. And what I want to just briefly point out here is, look how Christ loved the church in the past, present, and future. He says, he gave himself for her in the past. That's on the cross. In the future, he's sanctifying her, having cleansed, or I'm sorry, in the present, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word. In the future, he wants to present the church to himself in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but, but she should be holy and blameless. Now, I love that illustration. Two things I hate about clothes, wrinkles and spots. I'll get on a nice shirt, and my wife will say, there's a spot on it, right? And I do my own ironing. Um, Keith Plummer and I have a very funny story about that. One day I said, I love cotton. I can't wear poly. Don't like it. But cotton wrinkles even after you iron it. So I said to Keith one day, um, he had been up to his mom's for the weekend. I said, hey, um, your shirt's really well pressed. Did your mom do that? And he goes, yeah. And then I thought, yeah, I got him. And he looks at me and he goes, you might want to ask my mom to iron your shirt too. <laughs> I was like, dang, he got me. So, so the thing is, think of these wrinkles and spots as, as, as our, our blemishes. We still have a lot of growing to do in our character, right? And the place where our Christianity is really showing up is in our home. What do you like when no one's around, when you interact with your kids and your wife and family? So Jesus is in the process of sanctifying us. His number one concern is not your happiness in your marriage. It's our holiness. And marriage is a great tool to shape us into the image of Christ. So he tells us that Christ has done so much for us. And so husbands, we are to then adopt that posture towards our spouses. So as Paul closes, he says, nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife even as himself. C.S. Lewis had a great illustration there. He said, I really found it hard to forgive people. I just couldn't do it because they hurt me. And he said, then one day I realized I'm actually really good at forgiving. He goes, I had this revelation. I find it extraordinarily easily to forgive myself. So what I had to learn to do was love others as I love myself. I think that's so true, man. I don't have any problem loving myself. I'm a master of it. But when the Bible says Christ nourished and cherished the church, those two words are precious. One means to keep warm, one means to feed. 
And so God is saying, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. Adjust your golf game, adjust your priorities, adjust your attitudes, adjust your time, adjust the way that you speak to your wives. And then wives, see to it that you show respect to your husband, not because he deserves it, but because God has placed this as a model and mystery of the church. So as we close today, I wanna just mention a couple things. God invented marriage, he invented parenting, and I wanna encourage you to read ahead for next week and be thinking about this. He should be the one we're looking to for directions. He wrote the manual. This is not popular. There are people today when they have their marriage vows, they go, I'm not saying I promise to obey. Right? I've, I've been to a wedding where they say, I'm not saying that. These instructions are not just for God's glory, but they're for our own good. When the Bible says marriage is honorable and the bed's undefiled, but fornicators and God, uh, adulterers God will judge, it's for our own good. God wants us to paint an attractive model to the Christian world of what a Christian marriage can look like. And he says, as I mentioned in Titus 2, so that the word of God is not dishonored. It's necessary, and it's a primary concern of God that we pray about our marriages, that we strive to improve our marriages. And so as we close this morning, there's two things I want you to think about. Number one, before you think about showing love to others, think about the love that Jesus Christ has already shown us. Whenever you wonder if Jesus loves you, just remember he would go this much. Let's go right back to here. The gospel. Over and over again, the Bible says, here's how we know God loves us. He demonstrated it to us. Jesus gave everything on the cross. But he didn't shed his blood just to go, here's your forgiveness. He shed his blood so that he might sanctify us, wash us, cleanse us, and transform us. And one of those areas that he's transforming us is in our home, in our marriage, in our parenting. So let's start with that. Christ is our example. Thank you so much, Jesus. And one day, I know I still got a ton of spots and wrinkles, but one day the Bible says he's going to present me to himself blameless. What a blessing. What, a, what an encouraging promise of grace. In the meantime, I don't want to ignore my wrinkles and spots and go, well, that's just who I am. But rather, I bring them to the Lord and say, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because I'm a new person, change me. Help me, grow me, transform me. Show me when I've made mistakes. I, I, I realized quite a while ago, I made a mistake when I was preaching. I made a comment about Beth Moore. I said, Beth Moore used to teach that Jesus went down into hell. And I came to find out later that it wasn't Beth Moore. It was actually, I think, Joyce Meyer. And so what do you do when you make a mistake? You correct it. And so I want to encourage you that your marriage is not made up of two perfect people, but it's good forgivers. And if I could just encourage you by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's pray for one another that we could deeply learn what it looks like to love one another. Amen? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I'll be the first one to confess that it frightens me to think how easy my default is me, 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 me. I want what I want, I like things my way, and I'm thankful for my wife's patience, 
I'm thankful for her deference to me. I'm thankful that she has at times pushed back in an appropriate way that has challenged me. I thank you that you're helping me to grow. And I'm thankful that I'm not who I ought to be, but I'm not who I used to be. And Lord, I'm learning how to love better. Thank you that you're so merciful. Lord, only you know what's going on in our hearts of people in this audience and those of you who are listening. You may be struggling deeply in your marriage. Please don't suffer alone. Let, let us know, let us help you, let us come alongside. Father, we pray for the marriages in our church, that they will continue to grow. Thank you for our family focus, Lord, and may we have resources for parenting and marriage and discipleship. Be with those who are grieving because they've lost their spouse or who are hoping one day to find a spouse but have not yet found one. We're all in a different place. But Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us to grope in the dark. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If, if, if spouses need to offer forgiveness, if spouses need to apologize and change as a result of what they heard this morning, may your word cut deep and may we be determined by the power of the Holy Spirit through the transforming love of Jesus to be obedient and to model a Christ-centered marriage. Take your word and bear fruit. And those who don't yet know Jesus, Lord, show them how attractive and delightful and blessed it is to know the Lord and have the Lord helping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, have a wonderful day. Be in prayer and read ahead on parenting, even if you don't have kids, or maybe you have grandkids and you're on your redo and you're finally figuring it out. Be in prayer for our marriages and families. Have a great day, God bless.